Welcome to In Conversation, a podcast from the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs. Each month, your host and the panel of senior practitioners take you through the stories and developments of the month in the practice of corporate public affairs across the globe. Now, to take you through the latest developments, here is your host, Wayne Burns. I'm Wayne Burns, the Executive Director of the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs, and welcome to our last In Conversation for the year. And on the couch, we have uh, two very uh, senior practitioners uh, joining me. I'm I'm sitting um, on Gadigal land, uh, as is Margaret at the moment, Margaret Stewart, who is the Head of Corporate Affairs and Sustainability at uh, Nestle Oceana, Nestle being um, uh, one of the world's largest uh, food and uh, drink uh, companies. Um, and uh, we're just uh, chatting beforehand that as she looks after uh, Oceana, which is a very big region. And also joining us uh, on the road at the moment, um, now that the border has opened between uh, New South Wales and Queensland, it's been shut for five months or so. Um, uh, from Tamworth, we have um, Julia Quinn, and Julia's a group executive of public affairs at the Chartered Accountants of Australia and New Zealand. And Julia also is a, um, an alumnus of our International Best Practice Study Tour to the US and to Europe, which I know, Margaret, you'd like to go on some stage. I'll, I'll try to convince you or convince, convince you, your, your boss. It's, it's something that uh, uh, heads of function and senior practitioners um, should certainly do. Um, so welcome to you both. Incredibly very senior tomorrow. practitioners. How is it there in, um, in Tamworth? Kiora, and I'd also like to pay my respects um, to all the lands on which all of us are joining in um, today. Um, and I'm going to declare my incompetence at checking out what the um, uh, the lands are here in Tamworth, uh, which is um, feeling very uncomfortable for me right now. But Tamworth is beautiful. It's a beautiful, sunshiny day, and I've got some puppies around me as well. So I'm just going to have to fess up. This is all going to be very agile, I think is the uh, colloquial word. That we'd and, like to um, use at the moment. We're, 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 we're on the move and, and we're on a, a video meeting platform and this is the new normal, I, I suppose. Uh, so just to kick off about uh, uh, agility, um, uh, our questions are based on the content of our front and centre uh, compendium of uh, news and, and podcasts and uh, research that we uh, publish every week uh, in the interest of uh, connecting uh, people, uh, practitioners, with what's going on in the world around them in, in the world of public affairs. And uh, one of the stories from Forbes magazine in the last couple of weeks uh, examined corporate communication during the pandemic, and it, it concluded that, um, that corporate communications was the new black, was the new, new little black dress. It was the new thing, the new best thing um, um, in organisations, which I think a, a lot of corporate comms practitioners would say it's been that way for a long time. Um, just to ask uh, uh, you and, and maybe you first, Margaret, um, is corporate comms the, the, the new black? I mean, it, it's played a starring role. Um, there's high expectations of what it has uh, can produce, what it has produced, and high expectations that that will continue. Um, there's been some hard yards put in. Is, is, is that sustainable? Um, I, it reminds me of a conversation I had with my boss where she said to me, great year, but I'm looking for more next year. And I was like, really? There's more? Um, I found, particularly during the pandemic, the number of things that I've been involved in to an extraordinary level of depth. 
um, has really grown. So right into the detail, particularly um, as a manufacturing organisation um, with um, nine factories across the region, nine, yes, nine factories across the region, um, and a lot of challenges in supply chain, a lot of challenges in getting people to work. Um, the level of detail that I've had to get involved in in just how do we keep the business running um, has been extraordinary. And what I've learned from that has been extraordinary as well. But the other thing too is I think um, our role as kind of boundary riders um, has never been more important um, because um, we're not just looking into um, sales or looking into manufacturing, but it's how do we understand the broader environment and how do we connect all the dots I think has never been more important or more appreciated. And I think we're going to see that just grow. Uh, uh, Julia, um, uh, the, new, the new little black dress, are you feeling the love? Uh, I, I think that, that, you know, sort of that new little black dress, maybe it, it gets a little updated every now and again, but it's amazing when there's risk or challenge in the environment that corporate communications comes into its own again. And I think it's, it's probably natural. Um, I mean, people also, until they encounter it, they don't realise that it's such a fundamental risk discipline as well for any organisation, no matter its size, um, location and, and those sorts of elements. I mean, that, that's when uh, corporate communications, um, and I love your phraseology, Margaret, about joining the dots. Um, it, it just doesn't get described any better than, than that. And sometimes it's about um, actually keeping it real. And I think corporate communications um, plays a really good role in sometimes handing up the mirror to your organisations, but also translating for your organisation back to stakeholders, um, which is fundamentally uh, where best practice has been for some time now. And do you think, uh, Julia, that there's been some stellar effort put in in the last two years, especially around pandemic, uh, to especially in employee communications, um, to keep, keep employees engaged and to position the company as the source of knowledge, um, the font of knowledge and, and the font of credible knowledge about um, uh, not only working relations, but how um, how the pandemic and issues within issues within issues um, are affecting external stakeholders as well. So there's been some stellar effort. And as Margaret said, there's a lot of exhausted uh, people out there. Is um, do, you, do you think it's, it's sustainable for that level of effort to... Uh, you know, continue to be the, the, the new normal, uh, to use that, that terrible phrase? Look, I think we need to constantly think about our own resilience. And, I mean, I think that being very mindful and that more work and longer hours does not always um, equal the right outcome. And how do you keep your thoughtfulness and consideration into the advice that you give and the work that you do? Uh, so actually, um, you know, to, to use the parlance that, again, we hear all the time is, you know, making sure you're fitting your oxygen mask and that it fits really, really well. And what are the, what are the things that you as a, as a basic human being, what keeps you going? Um, it is, um, it's still an element where you need to really put a lot of thought into, into, you know, it might be survival mode, but how do we flip it more into thrive mode? You know, that thrive over survive. Which is, which is really challenging. I think it's really challenging in all sorts of roles and all sorts of organisations. But that's the, you know, that wellbeing um, edge, I think it's just as important for, for any individual and particularly corporate communicators because, um, you know, the, the volume and, and just the unpredictability about it, that is normal. Um, and when you've been around for a little while, 
uh, you, you just keep getting reminded how normal that can be. It's just the way it goes. It's and the Margaret, funnest job sometimes too, though. Yeah, Margaret, are, are you going to be able to uh, survive 2022, 2023 um, and practitioners like you out there with such high expectations that you'll de deliver, you know, the intensity and the effectiveness of communications going forward? That's funny, Wayne. I remember back to the heady days of March 2020 thinking this is the biggest crisis I've ever had to deal with, but what makes this one different from the other ones is that the thing I have I don't have to worry about in this one is media because nobody's particularly interested um, from a media point of view, number one, and number two, everybody I know is in a different flavour of the same crisis. Mm. Um, but as in any sustained crisis, you can't maintain crisis levels of energy and output um, indefinitely. And I really, I do like the um, first bit your oxygen mask analogy. I think we've had to rethink what it looks like to work in a crisis, as well as how we manage ourselves and manage our teams in a crisis. And um, I think one of the choices that I've had to make with a small team is um, to is making choices about how many people are involved in the crisis and how many are off doing the BAU, which still needs to be done, um, and not sidelining the whole team into the crisis, even though you get that element of crisis junkies where everybody wants to be part of it, but it's not sustainable. Um, and we've had to be really disciplined about how we manage work in order to get the other things done while the crisis still um is still out there but then you know are we crisis is the new normal yeah it's, it's that's really interesting we um we at the the, the center and some work we've done um with uh, ron heifetz at the um, kennedy school at uh, harvard university that uh, there are predictable stages to a crisis there's there's shock and chaos there's acceptance that, uh, that the things are, are crook, um, that, that, that the crisis is actually happening. Um, um, and then uh, over time, the intensity eases off and there's adaption and there's recovery. Um, the, and there is recovery. Um, whether recovery is we just live with this and um, uh, you know, or the forest burns forever or um, our business can't survive the crisis and it closed, there is a, there is a recovery where... Um, you know, the, the crisis is, is almost declared over. And uh, um, I think you're right. As, as leaders of people in corporate public affairs, um, there's got to be business as usual. Whatever that usual is, it might be unusual mm. compared to before. But I think you're both as, as leaders have um, accentuated that. Uh, there, is, you know, there is business as usual that needs to be done and there's, there's uh, the crisis and uh, you can't burn out your team in yeah. crisis mode uh, all the time. All yourself. Yes, sorry. Yes. All yourself. <laughs> All yourself. Absolutely. Mm. Talking about, I don't know, I, I see this as a, a bit of a crisis myself. It's 2021. Across Asia Pacific, there are so few CEOs who are women. CEOs are tapped. They're tapped on the shoulder by the board or executive search people. Um, obviously, more men are being tapped because they're in those roles, but there is... A, a, a rich pool of women out there not being tapped and we still have a gender pay gap between in business between uh, executives who are men and who are women. We've been talking about this for 20 years that this is not good, it's not productive, it's not efficient. 
it's not sustainable, but what do we have to do? What, what needs to be done? Um, We've got to set do you see this as a problem? And if it is, what needs to be done? Yeah, look, Wayne, I've, I've actually, my own views on this have changed and, and I get the range of arguments, but I still think that whether or not you're talking about, um, you know, business or the public sector or, um, you know, social enterprise and other, and other um, sectors, we've just got to set targets and we've got to make a, declare a goal and track it and deliver on it. And that's the, you know, that's how you get movement. And I think, um, you know, there's always going to be some examples where, you know, there is some progress and once those um, individuals wash through the system, then it goes back to before. And I think it's, it, the fundamentally it's about taking a more inclusive approach that how do we open up our minds that CEOs and leaders come in a certain you know sort of package of people and whether it's a style or a skill or a gender or a cultural background or even an age scenario um, we've got to stop thinking about it always being same same and I think we've got to celebrate different ways of thinking I've got to I think we've got to celebrate um, you know sort of genuinely using a lot more um you know sort of use your ears more than your broadcast voice uh, as an example um and and it's so those those yeah different styles of leaders are important so so i have converted myself and my thinking probably in the last couple of years that that setting goals and and that's you know equals targets is actually the only thing that's going to to move um, t targets, are uh, they an option for you, Margaret? Um, Look, I think we're setting a target for CEOs is a challenge because, of course, any organisation only has one of them and so you can't have 50% male, 50% female as a target. And how do you set a target across the community because who ultimately holds responsibility for that? But I think the targets need to sit within the process and that is um, diversity in who's involved in the selection and um um, diversity in who uh, having um, succession planning that um, deliberately looks for diversity at all levels through the organisation, um, as as well as um, raising unconscious bias as an issue before you actually get to the point of looking at who the individuals are. Mm. Because the, the risk, of course, is always that we had a CEO and he was great and so we're looking for another one like that. And um, when one comes in and address, that doesn't look like the other one. And so I think much more conscious, deliberate um, planning around succession planning and recruitment is really critical. Um, and that's where you need to set the targets because it's not going to, you're not going to get 50% of a CEO. Yeah. Oh, so, so true. And I mean, the targets need to be around the pool of candidates. Let's, you know, let's let's be frank. Um, but also, lots of organisations and sectors have made progress by having their 40-40 um, targets in terms of a gender split, as an example, and leaving the 20% in between for some flexibility. Because you you're not always going to be able to, you know, sort of meet um, something that's so you need you need a grey zone. I think. And also inclusivity does need to be more than gender, let's be real. Um, you know, true inclusivity um, needs to think about more of that. And I, I love the, your point about unconscious bias. It's, it's a really important place um, to address. And um, those epiphanies um, are, are really quite a powerful experience for people. 
you know, in the in the profession that I support, chartered accountants, we have been um, running a remuneration survey for several years now. We've been tra- tracking the gender pay gap within the chartered accountants designation across Australia and New Zealand since 2018. Um, although it took us being, you know, sort of a little bit sharper in our message more recently um, to to actually, you know, sort of talk about that gender pay gap a, a little bit more explicitly. And, you know, one of the challenging findings out of that was just the actual awareness within the profession of that gender pay gap. And um, our, one of our greatest challenges in terms of a target group was not only the, um, you know, our, our female chartered accountants, there was about seven out of 10 female CEOs thought that there was a gender pay gap um, on, the, on the male side. It was three out of 10 chartered accountants thought there was a gender pay gap. But the, within the female group, um, the most, uh, the, you know, the most significant gender pay gap was actually our female CAs with more than 21 years under their belt, and they were the least aware of the gender pay gap in terms of that perception. So some really interesting anomalies, and, and just targets also help you with awareness and, and actually just recognising that there is an opportunity here. I don't think it's always should be described as a problem. There is an opportunity to, um, to have a look at this, and there's an opportunity for every single person in our case um, to think about what, how they contribute to the discussion or even contribute to action. You are listening to In Conversation, a podcast from the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs, a membership-based organisation comprising companies, industry associations and government departments across Asia-Pacific. The Centre works with its members and other entities to apply best practice to extend their social licence to operate. The Centre develops and delivers executive education globally, conducts research and provides specialist consulting services. Now, back to your host of this episode of In Conversation. You both talked about uh, selection um, uh, of, of, of CEOs and, and executive teams. Uh, so some countries' jurisdictions do have a requirement for a 50-50 um, gender composition of boards um, of, of, uh, of directors of uh, public companies or companies um, uh, with a, a certain annual turnover. Um, do you think, and across Asia Pacific, the representation of women on boards is not terrific either. Um, what do you think around, uh, there's been talk about targets of, of, of requiring uh, a 50-50 gender split on boards. If that occurred, what do you think of that? If that occurred, do you think that would make any difference to um, the number of uh, um, CEOs who, who are women? So, Wayne, I've been in the position of being um, on senior leadership teams for a a scarily long time now, Um, from being um, the only one and the the only female and the first female way back a long time ago. Congratulations. Um, (laughs) At the time, it was my normal. Um, And through to working on executive teams that have been much more balanced, and now I have a female CEO for Nestle. In a, here in Oceania and um, it's not a reflection on the CEOs that I've worked for because I've worked for some absolutely fabulous CEOs but there is quite a different tone there is a really different tone 
um, when there's a lot more men in the room and very few women when, than when the room is um, more evenly split. There's a different energy and a different way of approaching things. And I don't think, having, having worked across enough now to have a feel for it, I, I think the difference is gender, not organisational culture and not the CEO themselves. I think gender itself makes the difference. And so if we're seeing um, a more balanced board, then that's going to make a difference to what we see with CEOs as well. Um, I have also been been to a more balanced one and then back to a more male-dominated one and you go, oh, okay, we're back here again. Um, and it's quite an experience, but there is such a difference um, in a really positive way. And it's not that I didn't like those jobs because I really did, but there's just something else when there's more balance. Julia, what, what do you reckon about board composition? Oh, look, I think I think it does make a difference, and also just remembering that it is just as important to have that range of decision making. And, and we've you know read the the case studies and examples of having a more inclusive um, approach to any group of people making a decision is a better decision outcomes, and 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 that's got the um, you know the business outcomes, the quality of um, you know the way risks are managed, but it's also even like down to the way you know sort of opportunities are navigated. It's just proven over and over again. Um, and it's just, it's that combination of perspectives that reach such, you know, sort of better outcomes. And I, and I don't think, um, you know, I, have, I haven't seen an alternative view yet that's, that's had much um, merit. And, and increasingly, uh, corporations are, are, are need to respond to a stakeholder expectations, including shareholder expectations, um, and those especially of the big uh, superannuation and pension funds um, uh, here in Australia and across Asia and overseas, um, that the, the gender representation is, is, a, is a live issue. It's an issue to be managed by organisations mm. and it, it's a core corporate public affairs um, issue that needs to be managed as well. Uh, you're with In Conversation and we have um, Margaret Stewart from Nestle and Julia Quinn from the Chartered Accountants of Australia and New Zealand um, and we're glad to have you with us. Uh, propaganda which uh, more recently has been called fake news or alternative facts, um, but it's propaganda. Um, it's, it's misinformation that, that's meant to un unsettle um, or, or reframe issues or um, uh, to challenge or, or to undermine, um, especially in, in, in democracies. Um, where are we? The last 10 years has been very shouty, lots of what we call... Um, uh, truth decay um, in the public square, um, in the public discourse around ideas and um, and uh, arguing about facts. And we've seen what's happening with the pandemic as well with um, some of that misinformation uh, can be fatal um, around um, uh, vaccine refusal uh, as well. Is it getting better or, or getting worse, Margaret? Where are we? Where are we at the end of 2021? I wish I had a great story to tell here, but I don't think it's better at all. I think it's worse. Um, we have um, definitely seen a change in how um, consumers engage with us um, and a real, uh, those, the groups that used to be niche groups online increasingly have become um, mainstream, of course, are now um, um, entering make the mainstream sort of public square. Um, Trump and everything he stood for was part of that. And the pandemic was really, it's really just been icing on the cake. Um, I, 
think it's, um, for me, one of the most concerning things, possibly even more concerning than the actual disease itself, is um, um, what's happening in people's minds about what they will and won't believe, about the state of truth, um, about the way that people treat each other, about just the general state of discourse and where we trust, um, I think is really alarming. Margaret, I really admire your calm tone of voice and, and couldn't agree with you more. Um, I, I wrestle with this, um, you know, sort of quite regularly in, in my own mind and just and sort of sit there and, and you know, you, you're informed by many different perspectives, um, you know, sort of pursue this sort of um, topic quite often with, with interest and uh, I, I just wonder if, if it's, you know, that, that critical thinking um, that might have been lost in out of education um, some time ago, how do some people become critical thinkers and some people don't? But I think probably humanity's always had that range of um, approach and it's just that they've got a, a platform that we're potentially more aware of it. Um, once upon a time, these used to be called, you know, over-the-fence conversations or water-cooler conversations or things that we potentially... Um, as different tribes of people all over the world uh, weren't necessarily or always aware of. Um, you know, I've, lots of different things passed through my mind, but I think, Margaret, you've actually nailed it. <laughs> it's just scary. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I'll go back to that wellbeing conversation that we had at, you know, sort of at the top of this podcast um, and, and webinar conversation. Um, you know, everyone needs to just wellbeing, get your sleep, eat good food. <laughs> whatever keeps you sane and and maybe uh st stay off twitter and facebook every now and again yes um the digital detox that you know even as a corporate affairs professional i think that there's ways of finding giving yourself and corralling you know corralling the information you um absorb and uh, i think um you know a lot of fellow corporate affairs professionals were often um sharing tips and and hints on you know what you're streaming at the time or what you're doing for exercise or all those different things, which are all sort of versions of mini, mini little detox or, or um, investments in your health and wellbeing, um, whatever works. I think too much of anything, um, which might have been an old adage that's been around for about a thousand years, is, 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 uh, is, is, is the one to think about there. Well, I, I met someone the other day who introduced himself as a, as a TikTok uh, poet. So um, um, I, I had to ask what that was, and I thought I was, uh, you know, quite engaged <laughs> with, uh, with with social media and its manifestations and and mores, but um, but obviously not. I, I didn't ask him to recite any of his poetry, um, but I did respect him, um, and that's what uh, our final uh, question we're going to discuss today is. Um, uh, respect and and uh, for individuals and and for human dignity is one of the foundations of a, a civil society which we strive to to live in. At, at the end of um, twenty twenty one, after two years of uh, pandemic, which has been extraordinary um, for us all, in a, a world where there is what, what we, we discuss, there's a lot of truth decay. Margaret, at the end of this year. Uh, are we a kinder place? Are we being kinder to each other than maybe even a year ago or two years ago? Wouldn't that be lovely? I think um, it's, I think it's really sad to say that the answer I think is no. Um, everybody has had 
Um, it's really easy to think that my situation is worse than everybody else's. In fact, my situation is incredibly fortunate compared to others. Um, it's really easy to think that, uh, like, everybody is worse off than they were. Everybody is worse off during the pandemic than they were. It's just to different degrees. And I think we can be so involved in my own state of worst offeredness that we forget that everybody else is having a hard time as well. Um, and we forget, and because we haven't seen people face-to-face, -face, so much of that communication has been online. Um, um, online has almost become an attention grab for sympathy because I'm having a hard time. And um, instead, online has turned into this, you know, there's this um, toxicity around uh, what you think of different states and different premiers, what you think of vaccination, what you think of mandatory vaccination. It's become ugly. And um, I do think people have forgotten how to be kind and forgotten um, that you can disagree with somebody in a way that's kind, um, question them in a way that's kind instead of attacking. And I think we just need to reconnect with each other as humans and remember that the person that behind those pixels actually sits another human being with a beating heart um, and that kindness is really critical and I think it's critical for us as managers and leaders as well to remember that the people that we're leading and the people that we're working with are also worse off and are also having a hard time mm -hmm. even if we can't see it because we're looking at them through a screen. Yeah, Julia, are we, are we kinder at the end of this year than we have been in the past? Look, I, again, I think there's such a range of experiences. I, I really get reluctant to, to generalise. But um, I suppose what I'm starting to observe um, is, is that some people are starting to be incredibly conscious of wellbeing and maybe there's a bit more patience that's, that, that might hopefully translate through to kindness. Um, maybe the eternal optimist in, in me is just really, really hoping for that. And if I talk about it, it all somehow happens. Um, you know, maybe I'm a, a bit of a Pollyanna there. But um, I hope so. I really do hope so. And I hope that, you know, there, there is certainly the self-awareness of um, that, uh, you know, sort of that broad, broadcast voice, you know, the attacking, the trolling, you know, all those sorts of things that, that some people just, you know, finally sort of the penny drops that, that actually they're um, you know, sort of if start with themselves. Um, if they've got a little bit more patience or a little bit more consideration or just breathe um, that, 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 hopefully that'll sort of start to leak away i yeah i really i really do hope that there's a lot more patience but i, I think it's um yeah it's a little hard to observe at the moment isn't it uh and and yeah and and i i just find myself opting out every now and again i do i really do have to particularly in the twitter space um and and some online forums you just you you, you dip in and then you just go no i'm out for a bit uh yeah, absolutely. So um, if it's, you know, if, if change starts with yourself, um, I'm certainly a lot more patient. Um, I think my, uh, you know, sort of ability just to think, you know what, I'm just channeling my inner Queenslander um, and way before I started heading towards the border, uh, <laughs> just, you know, cues, crowds, those sorts of things and just chilling chilling out so so maybe that's my final tip for everybody channel you're in a queenslander even if you don't <laughs> there or form here or any of those sorts of things 
Well, um, talking about kindness, you're both very kind giving us uh, your time. Um, uh, Margaret, I know it's a very, um, very busy end of year for you every year. Um, and uh, after the last couple of years, um, I, I hope you're able to, to take a break. And Julia, you're heading for a break. Um, thank you both very much uh, for providing uh, your insights and your time. And we'll be back next year with uh, In Conversation. It's our last episode for the year. Uh, have a very safe and very relaxing, if possible, holiday season. Uh, stay safe and we'll see you again in 2022. Thank you all very much. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us for this episode of In Conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe for more at the Centre's Very Public Affairs podcast show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For more information about best practice public affairs, visit the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs at www.accpa.com.au.